everybody, you're listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, here with Dan Allen. Hey! And we are continuing our series on how to read the Bible, looking at the CHRIST acronym, mm-hmm. um, this kind of tool for thinking about different ways a passage can connect to Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, Walk us through the first five that we've discussed so far, Dan. Yeah. So again, we'll ask the question of a passage, what is the main point to begin with? And then we'll ask, how does the main point, as we understand it, or the main claim in the passage, how does it direct us to the Christ event or the Christ in his work? Uh, So there's six main roads or six roads that ways a passage can point us to the Christ event, uh, that would be a command that can only be fulfilled by or empowered by or and empowered by Christ. So that the text is making uh, a biblical ethical charge to the audience that can only be fulfilled ultimately by Christ and empowered by Christ. So that's C. That's C. Command. H would be a hope that we only have reason to embrace or cherish, walk in the good of because of the work of Christ. So God gives many promises to his people. Uh, and the real reason why we are, of all people of the earth, should be able to embrace that is because we have a substitute who's brought us in covenant under the wing of God. Mm-hmm. So not H. just looking at the promise, but how it actually is fulfilled for us yeah. and become our becomes our very experience. That's right. Then I is an ill. Uh, R. Or R, getting it's, ahead of myself. C-H-R. R. <laughs> I can't spell it. Uh, yeah. uh, R is a recurring, recurring theme. theme uh, that climaxes in the work of Christ. So there's many themes that run all the way throughout Scripture that, some, that are fulfilled in Christ or most clearly seen in the work of Christ or uh, resolved by the work of Christ. Um, and then I would be an ill that is only resolved by the work of Christ. So there's many passages that just leave us wanting in this broken world, sin and death and uh, disease and famine that just leave, leave us feeling heavy and longing for the work of Christ to redeem the world, uh, redeem us. Uh, and then there is S, which is a storyline update or storyline movement on uh, of the history of redemption that's fulfilled in the work of Christ. And so that brings us to our final uh, final Road, pathway, yeah, roadway yep, yep. in this uh, Christ acronym, mm-hmm. which is T. And we're yep. going to be looking at then typology. Yeah. So it's a type of the Christ to come, his person yeah. and his work. So this is probably the most, um, what would you say? Sophisticated, uh, technical. Yeah. And probably the one con- most controversial, maybe. Sure. Uh, the one that folks might have the biggest hesitancy. Uh, because because in, in the history of the church uh, has been misunderstood a little bit as allegory. So mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we want to make the distinction between allegory and typology. Yep. But let's just even just talk about typology to begin with. Typology, um, you might you might just start from the, the starting place that it, God has given many promises um, in this in the scriptures by words, like you know the prophets wrote down promises or uh, descriptions about what is to come, and it's not only in that way that we we see what Christ is going to be like, but also through pictures, through symbols. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And those pictures are actually real events, real people. Yep. So a type, uh, typology is you might define it as a person, an event, or a part of the sacrificial system or ceremonial system that was real in history, but was pointing beyond itself to the work of Christ Himself. Um, so that's actually going to set us apart or set typology apart from allegory anyways. Yeah. Allegory um, does not really take into account the historical grammatical hermeneutic, like actually asking the question, what did this um, passage mean to the original audience 
in the history as they received it. He's using the, 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 the letting the history and the grammar determine what the meaning of the passage is. Allegory just kind of grabs these random details and there's some hidden code or hidden meaning behind the, yeah. some random objects in the text. Yeah, it's a meaning that's imposed on the text that's mm-hmm. not inherent to the text. That's right. Um, so making something, taking something from the text that wouldn't actually be its meaning if you read it on its own terms. That's right. And sort of imposing that. Whereas typology is actually controlled that's right. by exegesis of the text. That's right. You can actually see how something from within the text on its own parameters yeah. is functioning. I like the language if it's if typology is... You hear that and you're like, okay, I don't really know what that means. Maybe an easier way to remember it would be something like a prophetic pattern. So something mm-hmm. that is creating mm-hmm. a pattern, um, whether it's a person who functions as a, to mm-hmm. create something mm-hmm. of a pattern an, or like an office within scripture, yeah. yep. uh, an event mm-hmm. that creates a pattern or an institution, something from the ceremonial system, as you said, that's creating a pattern that functions um, to look forward, to, to yeah. anticipate something greater, something that will yeah. m- more greatly fulfill uh, that pattern. And That's so right. characteristics of typology, it's rooted in a conviction that God orders history, mm-hmm. that he's yeah. in control of history, That's so right. that prior events, prior people, prior institutions that he's ordained can anticipate mm-hmm. future ones that's because right. he's in control of those yeah. things. Yeah, that, that's um, a great point. It's built on the foundation of the sovereignty of God and the providence yeah. of God. Yeah, and and, and there, it's yeah. rooted in the text. It's yeah. rooted in things that is actually, it's not a foreign meaning or an additional mm-hmm. sort of imposed meaning, but it's rooted in it's right. an actual organic connection from what the passage is doing. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I'll, I'll just say the definition again, just so we hear it. Uh, so it's a person, an event, or a part of the ceremonial system, uh, ordained by God to function in a particular manner in recorded biblical history in order to direct readers to something greater than itself, prefiguring the Messiah uh, who is to come. So just r- real quickly, we we'll just work through those once again, uh, not the whole th- piece by piece. So there's three pieces to that, right? Okay. It's a type is a person, an event, or a piece of the ceremonial system. So these would be real people, that God ordained to live in a time of history, uh, a real event that happens, um, or the part of the system, um, but they're not existing just on their own. As you read this passage on its own, it does have a meaning, right? You can read about David defeating Goliath, and you can understand what the claim of the passage is. And yet, when you step back, you see that that claim is pointing to something beyond it. So there's there's a bigger David to come. Right. And it's going to give us these, pa- I like the word pattern that like you're saying. Yeah. It's like these patterns of what, what this Messiah, when he comes, what is he going to be like? Yeah. The way that I think is helpful too is we use typology, the language of type similarly, even in our own lang- in our own setting, when we talk about like prototypes, mm-hmm. it's a like proto, it comes first. So like when an inventor is developing a product, they make something that is not the full thing. It's just kind of yeah. getting the categories in place. It's getting the structure in place, the mechanisms in place. They're going to they're going to flesh it out. They're going to fill it out into the final product. And Mm -hmm. so types are, you might think of them as prototypes. Yeah. They're like the initial, they're the initial form that's eventually, so you're always, a type is only a type if there's a correspondence. That's right. So it assumes a correspondence between the, the, the type and what's called then the anti-type, the, yeah. the fulfillment of the type. That's right. And then there's going to be an escalation. That's right. So Jesus is going to fulfill it in a, it, it's, he's going to advance it. That's it's right. It's going to, it's going to meet it. What it was always anticipating, Jesus is going to reach that. And so there's going to be an escalation there as well. That's right. So those are the two, the two very key 
pieces about this. There is a very clear correlation between the type and antitype. Antitype actually means uh, literally in the place of. Yeah, so it's anti, in the pla- so in the place of. Yep, yeah, in the place of the type. So the type, and to use Dave, David there and David and Goliath, uh, the anointed one defeats God's enemies and uh, the people celebrate the, the plunder. If you went that route, David is the type. Yep. The anti-type is Jesus. Yep. There, right? Because he's the greater David, the yep. one. And that's rooted in the text because yep. you can go to Second Samuel 7 and mm-hmm. see how David's going to be promised uh, one from his line who will, who will rule even... Uh, to take his rule and even rule in greater in a greater way in a final yeah, form. That's right. And so there's there's some sort of a connection between type and anti-type, and like you said, always this escalation because in the type there's a built-in um, limitation, right? Yep. There, it's just not the real deal. Yeah. But it's pointing to the real deal. It's a, it's it's a shadow pointing to the substance, right? Yeah. So there's always a built-in limitation in the type. And so we want to keep the right correlation and then see how that escalates in the anti-type. And you can kind of think of the the anti-type then belongs to the category if we're going to if this is helpful for for some listeners. When we think of eschatology or the end times, things in in the end, so this would be things like the new creation or the new exodus or the new covenant, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. ultimate Messiah, the new temple. Those are all like end time categories of the things that were, were being anticipated either in verbal promises or in mm-hmm. these types. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, that is the end time reality. The anti-type belongs to the end time reality. It's the eschatological. So you have the yeah. prototype or the proto-eschatological, and then you mm-hmm. have the eschatological mm-hmm. would be the fulfillment. Yeah. So let's just kind of give a quick uh, list of some examples in each of these categories. So you have people. Uh, so you have like uh, Paul talks about Adam and and the second Adam, right? Yep. There's uh, there's this correlation between them. They're both uh, like heads or federal heads. They're or representing representative. A, yeah, a representing you know, a humanity. Yep. And in one, the, how Adam uh, led uh, brought death upon those who he represented. Jesus brings life. Yep, right? through his resurrection. Um, you have Joseph. You could say he he would be a, a picture of one who was betrayed by his brothers to bring salvation to others. Uh, where Jesus as well uh, betrayed by his friends uh, to bring salvation. Yep. But it's not just physical salvation. Uh, salvation. It's a true, full spiritual celebration or ce- celebration too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> salvation, yeah. uh, which ultimately is, it's, it's eternal life qualitatively and quantitative, quantitatively are there, right? Um, there's David. Uh, I mean, there, there's just the list can go on. Like when, especially when you get in like the, the great meteors, prophet, priests, and kings. Yeah. Uh, there's some people ho- would hold the view that only those who are mentioned in the New Testament, like Adam, uh, would, would be that. Um, we would be of the, of the sort to say, well, no, like there's a lot of patterns, yeah. uh, but there's ways that we can do this organically and that has good guards uh, yeah. on our, our interpretation. And let me make a comment on yeah. that too. The, the illustration that I like to to use to help understand that is, I don't know if this is how this was when you were in school, but when I was in school, like high mm-hmm. school, middle school, and I had a math textbook, like say I'm doing algebra or something, mm-hmm. it would give us the answers to the question, the odd questions in the back of the book. Okay. So yeah, if I'm yeah, doing, yeah. say I'm assigned to do questions one through 30, I get question one, three, five, seven, et cetera. I yeah. get the answers yeah. in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Those answers are provided, presumably, not so I can just like not do those questions and just put an answer down, like mm-hmm. cheat, mm-hmm. but they're so I can check my work. How? Yeah. Or why would they do that? So that then when I get to the even questions, if I, mm-hmm. if I, they, what they don't want me to do is just get question one wrong, get question three wrong. Clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. So right. I get all the right. even questions wrong as well. Mm-hmm. I get the answers in the back of the book. 
so that I know like, okay, I'm on the right track. So then mm. when I get to the even mm-hmm. questions, if I get, if I just get all the odd ones correct and all the even, even ones wrong, my teacher's going to know I cheated. But yeah. if I'm getting the even ones correct as well, then they're going to see, okay, like he understood the actual technique that was mm-hmm. being taught. Mm-hmm. He was understood the principle that was being taught. And so similarly, some people approach the New Testament identifying types in the Old Testament, uh, where they think like, oh, well, types are just, they're not actually mm. rooted in the text. They're just sort of these imposed things that the New Testament authors occasionally did. And so we should restrict our thinking of typologies solely to the things that the New Testament itself identifies mm. as types. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, no, types are not just some mysterious thing that the New Testament mm-hmm. um, was only able to identify because of inspiration, sort of some suspension of normal way of interpreting the Old Testament. We're actually saying, no, it was rooted in a proper understanding mm-hmm. of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. such that when we have the like the New Testament's use of the Old Testament is kind of like having the odd questions, the answers yeah. in the back of yeah. a book. I can look at that and say, oh, that's what they were doing. That's the methodology. That's how they were interpreting. So then when I go and try to uh, answer the even questions, I can find other types types that maybe mm-hmm. aren't just identified in the New Testament, but I'm using the same principles of interpretation in order to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful example. Um, okay. Some ex- examples of events. Uh, we could go to the bronze serpent. Yep. Remember, Jesus actually talks about this in John 3, that that's an event where the people were, where they were dying because they were getting bit by snakes. And remember, God tells them, make this bronze serpent. Anybody that looks to the serpent will live, right? And so then Jesus calls this up. It'll be, he is like this event. His, his coming is like this event. He will be lifted up and anybody looks to him will have life, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, there's this correlation. This event equals this event in some manner. It's looking to the one being lifted up and receive life. The people in Israel, they still died. Those who look to Jesus will never die in yeah. that, like physically, but not truly death, right? Yeah. yeah. And so there's a correlation yet escalation. Or you could say the Passover event, um, those who, who put the blood on the doors, the wrath of God passed over them. And Paul calls, calls Jesus, with our, the, our Passover has come in Jesus, right? Yeah. Or the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah often gets picked yep. up as a judgment that it, it were the prophets will, you know, say, just as God judged those cities, do you think mm-hmm. you're any better off? Jesus picks right. up on that. So if God has judged in this case against sin, then we can anticipate that at the end of history, there will be, there will obviously come a judgment, uh, for all sins are held account. Or right. we think of the flood with Noah, uh, mm-hmm. first Peter three yep, yep. brings up how God saved, uh, by means of judgment. He saved people through judgment from the judgment. Mm-hmm. And so likewise, baptism is this picture of coming out of the judgment through Jesus, yeah. the waters of death. We escape the punishment of sin being death and we're raised with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, the Exodus is probably like the biggest yeah, example right, of this. Right. Like in the similar way that we constantly are pointing to the gospel and we're a gospel, we talk about being a gospel centered mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Israel was an Exodus centered sure, people. Yeah. Like the Exodus yeah. was their gospel. They were, uh, they wanted to be Exodus centered, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the, that was like the thing right. that they look to, right? And the Passover was their kind of Lord's Supper yeah. meal, essentially, where mm-hmm. they remembered who they were. They were they right. were a people shaped by the Exodus. And so the prophets use God's past events, because God is God is the same, God is unified, He's in control of history. These are all convictions that lay behind typology. If God saved his people in the past by means of Exodus, Mm -hmm. then if God is to deliver his people again, as the prophets anticipate, like Hosea does this, for example, 
uh, in chapter 10 or 11, I think it is, um, they anticipate, they, they use the categories of the Exodus to anticipate God's future yeah. act of redemption. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so then this third category, the aspects of the ceremonial system, uh, right? You have something like the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, yep. which Jesus is, he, he tabernacled among us, right? Yeah. Uh, that you have things like, uh, when it would include like the year of Jubilee, and this is just part of the ceremonial system. That's when the people were to be released if they were held captive or a servant, uh, or they were given their land back. Yeah. Um, and in Jesus coming, that's actually, the, the, this gets, called back up in chapter 61 of Isaiah. And when Jesus comes, his first sermon is talking about Luke the year of Jubilee, four, Jubilee yeah. coming, that is, that he, in his arrival. And with that would be Sabbath. Sabbath kind of, yep. yep. the year of Jubilee is really a part of the Sabbath That's typology, right. yep. but this longing for ultimate rest yeah. to be achieved. That's right. Um, the temple is, is the biggest one or tabernacle yep. sacrifices. Yep. You can even notice within the sacrificial system, like the day of atonement, yep. they had to repeat it. The book of Hebrews the right. book of Hebrews picks up on the ceremonial ones yeah. quite a bit. That's right. So you have priest would yep. be one that kind of overlaps with both ceremonial system and That's right. person. Yep. Yep. But there's this anticipation within the sacrificial system itself that there mm-hmm. is a need for atonement to cover the impurification, the pollution of sin. Mm-hmm. And yet they had to offer the sacrifice year after year after year. Mm-hmm. It wasn't sufficient. So its own sort of uh, the, the built-in inefficiency, um, the built-in impotence, the weakness Within the Old Testament prototype, um, for the for the self reflecting Jewish person, they would have said, "Well, God, of course, is going to have to bring a resolution mm-hmm. to this. This mm-hmm. is this can't be the end. This is not. We haven't gotten back to Eden. Yeah. And so it anticipates something more similar with the temple. Is God going to even Solomon when he dedicates the temple in First First Kings eight? He's, he recognizes that God isn't contained in a building. Mm-hmm. And so the temple itself anticipates there must be something more. Eventually, yeah. there's going to come a day where God dwells uninhibited That's right. with his people. Yeah. And so the, type, yeah. the types themselves, I would argue, um, actually contain the element of yeah. anticipation that's if right. you're thinking properly about that. Yeah, that's right. There's like clearly, there's... David is not the ultimate king. Clearly, the temple cannot be it. Yeah. There has to be something more. Yeah. There's like this whisper coming from them. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not sufficient. Look for someone like me, but better. Yep. Um, yeah, that's good. Um, I'm glad you mentioned like the, the use of this in the scriptures because, uh, especially like the Old Testament and New Testament alike. So like you mentioned the prophets, like Jeremiah oftentimes refers back to Egypt or Hosea when he's saying you're going to go to, um, Assyria. But he keeps saying you're going to Egypt. Yeah. So Assyria is a new Egypt. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, if you're just reading without like kind of this knowledge, like understanding of what he's doing, you're just like going to Egypt. But you say you're going to Assyria and they, they do go to Assyria. They don't go to Egypt. Why do you keep saying Egypt? Uh, but it's because this is how they thought about these yeah. things. So, and unpack that a little bit. Yeah. It's like, well, Assyria is going to be like the new Egypt. It's going to be the place where just as Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden, mm-hmm. you're going to be exiled once again That's from right. your new garden, land being mm-hmm. uh, type, you might say. That's right. Um, and so if you're going to go to Assyria, Assyria is going to function like a new Egypt. Just like yeah. you're in bondage bondage in Egypt, you're going to be in bondage in yeah. Assyria. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and in a similar way, uh, like we said when we were doing the uh, overall picture, how the prophets keep pointing back to David and saying there's a, there's a David coming, but they're pointing backwards. And it's, it's, that, it's just this built-in way of the typology being a part of the way God's people were understanding who Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do when he came. Yeah. Um, and so the Old Testament, even it's beyond just saying, oh, this is how the New Testament reads the Old Testament. That's right. This is how the Old, Tel- right. Old Testament self-consciously 
read itself and yeah. how it presented itself. Right. It understood this is baked into the very, like the scriptures are typological in nature. Yeah. This is baked into the very nature of scripture that God has, uh, that his dealings form a pattern, his dealings and interactions right. with his people form a pattern that are ultimately going to be climaxed in Christ. And this is where I really want to push it back against, again, against those who kind of see typology as just sort of this quirk that the apostles um, can do just because they were inspired. Yeah. Like I want to say it's rooted in the very nature of scripture so mm-hmm. that we actually read the scriptures typologically, even beyond the specific explicit um, yeah. identifiers that they yeah. point out. Yeah, I agree. And it's clearly what Jesus thought about himself, that these, these events and people were pointing to him, right? Yeah. That's what he, with the bronze serpent, um, that in his arrival, it's when he's lifted up, that's what's, what that, all that whole, um, that event was actually pointing to in picture form or when he, when he's having that interaction in John six about the, the, your, your father's ate the manna from heaven. Yeah. I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven. They ate the manna and died. Yeah. But anybody who eats with me will live forever. Right. Right. He's, he's doing this typology. He's the anti-type. He has now come one like, uh, uh, what does he, what's he say? Uh, one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Solomon is here. Right. It, I, I'm, they were like me or I'm like, I'm, they were like me in one correlation, but I'm even greater. Yeah. Right? And sometimes the anti-type can come in the form of a contrast. That's right. Yep. Yeah. But with all of these, there's a reoccurring element. And so this is where, like we said before, I think in the last episode, it can kind of feel like it crosses over a bit with mm-hmm. recurring theme. Yep. But the difference here is that there's like a specific, uh, like there's more of a pattern related to a specific person, event, mm-hmm. or institution. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes it's not necessarily a, a theme that's like picked up in, you know, Genesis, and then it shows up again in Exodus, and then in sure, Joshua, yeah. or something like that. But it's more a little bit more of a direct line of type to anti-type, yeah. correlation to escalation. Yeah. But there definitely is an overlap, I, I agree. Um, uh, you, you also see the New Testament apostles as they're writing also pick up on and speak of this way as well. Like you mentioned, Peter, uh, uh, in for, uh, first Peter, first Peter three, yeah. um, Paul, uh, Romans chapter five with Adam and the new second Adam or Romans um, 10, when he talks about the baptism through the, yeah, in the yeah. waters of the Exodus yeah. when the sea is parted, it's them passing yeah. through the judgment. Yeah. Or John is he's writing his gospel. He, he, he says that the reason why, uh, Jesus did not have his legs broken was because that's the command for the, the Passover lamb. Yeah. So he's the Passover lamb. Right. Um, that's why his legs weren't broken. So this is, it's just very common in the, in the old and new Testament to think this way. And so we think, well, we are God's people. We should, if that's how they read the Bible, we should be reading the Bible the same way too. We just need to make sure we're doing it carefully yeah. and with uh, correct boundaries. So maybe we can move in to that direction. Um, if you're ready for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what do we do then? Um, so we don't, we're, again, we're not talking about allegory. We're just finding strange connections anywhere we can, but things that are organic from the text, the main point. So we're always going to start with 2A. We're going to examine the passage. We're going to come to what is the main claim the author is making in the passage. And then we're going to simply ask the question of whether or not, the, is, is it a person? Uh, is, is a person central to this theme? or to the theme of the passage, right? Uh, or is it about some event or something about the ceremonial system? Yeah. Now, just because those elements show up in a passage don't mean that it's a part of the main claim. Right. Right? Yeah. Just because David's in the passage doesn't mean that 
the passage is really yeah. about David or something that he's doing. And it doesn't mean he stops functioning as a type. Mm-hmm. It just means that we're not, that's, that's not the function of that particular that's passage. Right. So anytime the temple shows up, the temple is by nature a type. That's right. But it doesn't mean it becomes the main claim of the passage. Yeah. Um, now, well, I guess the only, I mean, what you're saying is right. Uh, but the, the other thing I might say though is, kind of this principle once a type not always a type so there is a thing so like that bronze serpent which clearly does function as a type in that event um later in the book or later in the scriptures second kings or whatever remember the people were worshiping it they're yeah, calling it yeah. uh neheshton or something like that so in that passage it's not functioning as like a type of jesus but just so like we don't want to just say just because it's in the passage it is a type or something like that we want to stay on the high level of the main claim of the passage um, and that's really, that's going to be a major, major guard. Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing is you, it, it's, it needs to stay connected organically to the actual meaning of yeah. the passage and that's what right. the passage is actually doing. So just because we see, we can see correspondences or escalate, we, we don't want to just start. Okay. So we have license. We're saying that we can, we can also read types outside of those specifically identified in the New Testament. That doesn't create license then for us to go make up types wherever yeah, we think right. we can find that's them. That's right. It actually has to be grounded in the meaning of the passage. That's right. So, for example, that, like, the t- institution of the temple is typological in the sense that it's the very expression of God dwelling among his people. Yep, yep. And, uh, in as much as it always carries that function, it's going to mm-hmm. carry that typological mm-hmm. function. Yep. The bronze serpent, for example, it carries a typological function as a, as something that God held up to his people to say, trust in this and I provide mm-hmm. you provision from my mm-hmm. judgment mm-hmm. versus, versus in that other passage, it's clearly not doing that anymore. Yeah, right, now it's right. become a, a means of idolatry. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we always want to start with two way and we're asking is, is there something in the main point or the main claim of the passage? Is that functioning to uh, lead us towards the anti-type in Jesus? So one one other good, I, I think, a good helpful qualifier that some some will um, argue for is asking the question if if it has a redemptive historical focus, like something that that this type that we think it's a type, does it have some something to do with redemption? Does it fit in within the program of redemption as laid out in the storyline right. of scripture? So yeah. not just like some random picture. Of That's something. right. Yeah. Yeah. So to, one example might be like lion, right? Jesus is referred to as the Lion of Judah. Yeah. Right? Okay. So if we're reading the book of Judges and we come along with <laughs> yeah. Samson and he sees a lion, defeats the lion, and it's got honey in it or whatever it is, is that lion functioning as a type? Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. Like that, it, it's in, in the claim of the passage, one is probably not showing up in the claim of the passage because that passage is more about the utter disregard of yeah. God's um, prophet who's empowered by the Spirit. Like his utter disregard. Now, he does that with defeating a lion and making himself unclean and then making his parents unclean yeah. and such like that. But um, that lion has no role in like anticipating exactly. Jesus. Like what would that lion? It's just, it's, it's a foil for, that's right. for the actual point of the passage. That's right. Yeah. So it's not like every lion becomes a type of Jesus now. Yeah. So uh, we're, we want to know one, does it show up in the main point of the passage? Two, does it have a redemptive focus? And then we're going to be asking, what is the connection? Like what is the, um, correlation with Jesus and we want to stick with that. So in other words, we don't um like David when he defeats Goliath, we're not interested in everything David does in the passage in mm-hmm. that sense. Like um, all the stones represent something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're asking the co- correlation between David there in that action 
to Jesus. So if we use that as an example, it would probably be the idea of the God's anointed defeats the enemies of God's people and the people celebrate the plunder. It's this fact that he defeats the enemies of God's people. He's the anointed one who wins victory against uh, Goliath, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and the people of God then celebrate. They join or probably join in the plunder. It's probably a better way to phrase that. They actually enter into the battle, right? So that's the correlation is David and Jesus both defeat an enemy for God's people, and God's people celebrate the plunder. And then the escalation is David is just winning a military victory, a political mm-hmm. victory. Localized, they, yeah. geographical. Yeah. yeah, but Jesus clearly is winning a, uh, a spiritual and physical yeah. reality, right? Redemption of all things. That's right. Yeah. Um, so we, so we want to ask, know that question. What is the correlation between um, the Passover and Jesus? What is yeah. the correlation between the bread and the in the tabernacle and Jesus? And the like, intended, the intended correlation. That's right. So, yeah, like, what's point. actually at heart? Uh, what's actually the author's concern? So we're not then, you know, making a correlation like David has a sling. The sling correlates to Jesus. I don't That's know, right. like something he has. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I have no idea. Yeah. But like, yep. you don't want to. We're not like. You're not playing fast and loose with the details of what you think you can draw connections. That's right. Uh, but what what's actually going on in the actual meaning of the passage? That's right. That's right. Um, and then and then that should lead us to the, the illustration I've liked before is like a sunflower. Um, if you I don't know if you've ever seen a sunflower open up where they they're closed, and when you look at it, the whole head of the sunflower is green because it's mm. all the leaves are covering it. Okay. Eventually, when it finally blooms, that's uh, the, what becomes the back of the sunflower is, was on the front and it opens up so you can see the full face of it. Gotcha. Now it's, it was a flower before and now it's still a flower, but now it's ballooned up and it's beautiful and it's fully ripe. Yeah. And so the, the process of going from type to the anti-type, there's a correlation. We're still in the same, same meaning of the passage in that sense, same correlation. We didn't go from a, a sunflower to an apple tree where it's something just totally off the wall that wasn't meant in the original same meaning the same correlation there but it's escalated and now it's at its full full stage yeah tracing its development there you go yep. yeah um and that's that's the way we do typology then so um like we we kind of did it earlier um at the beginning of the 2b discussion with the david and goliath yeah um there so we could we could think through the the john 6 one it's it's a fairly fairly straightforward one where jesus says uh, your fathers ate the manna from heaven and they died. I'm the true bread sent from, from sent from heaven, and if you eat me, you live. Right. Yeah. So, what's the correlation between those two? Would you say? Yeah, God's provision for His people. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And then, what's the escalation? The ex- escalation is you had provision of mere food, mm-hmm. you know, which was great yep. and, yeah, and gracious, right. but the provision of Jesus as the bread of life, actually providing that's eternal right. life, not merely physical life. That's right. Yeah. And so you see, it really doesn't have to be this complicated, hard, weird, strange thing. Yeah. It can be pretty straightforward. And I think if we've done, like we've said in earlier episodes, if we've done the hard work of 2A, finding out the claim of the passage, 2B is actually quite simple. Yeah. It's not complicated. And so with these, again, there can be some parallels and crossovers with some of these six categories. But what we're talking about here is if a passage of scripture actually has as its primary claim to present and showcase a type, Mm -hmm. then we Mm -hmm. want to say, okay, that's the primary way this passage connects to Christ is through that type. That's right. Yeah. And I think once you get comfortable with this, uh, you get a a very rich picture of Jesus yeah, because uh, it's really going to f- fill out who who is our Messiah yeah. and what work did he do? Great. So then, closing out, let's uh, just 
I know you have a ex- uh, sample list of various main, main points, main, yeah. points yeah. main claims of passages. Yeah, and which just may kinda, or may not be the best way to state them, but for the sake of the exercise, yeah. we'll say that as I have them written, that is the main claim of the passage. So assuming yeah, these we'll are agree. correct, we're yeah. working from the assumption that these are accurate and good representations of the passage. But we thought it would be helpful then to work through some of these yep. to kind of say, now these could... They're, they're, the way they connect to Christ then could be any of the six. Yeah, there kinda, could be multiple options. Yeah. Yep. So you might what you might do is you might, after we read it, you might pause it and pause oh, yeah. the episode yep. try to think through how it connects to Christ and you kind of use this as, a, That's as right. some yeah. practice. Yeah. So I have not read these in advance. No. Um, yep. Dan came up with the list and he's going to kind of throw them at me and I'll try to work through them and and we'll kind of hopefully they'll be able to show that this is something that you can do yeah Um, that's right yeah um all right so let's uh so you do have the list in front of you so you can read along with me but uh he has not worked through these and we'll do it in real time Um, all right so let's do the first one there psalm 15 i have it stated as the main point only the blameless shall dwell with the lord and never be moved because you remember the psalm is like who shall dwell among the most high or whatever. So only the blameless shall dwell with God and never be moved. Yeah. Um, that communicates like a promise, like a, something that God is assuring us mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. And so I would see that as connecting to Christ uh, yeah. that way. Like how ultimately are the blameless dwelling with God and never moved? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I would do as well. Uh, so that's not a promise. For, not everybody is going to dwell with God. Yeah. Uh, it's those who... Um, have have a substitute who have been brought under the covenant. That's right. Yeah. Now, I suppose you might be able to think through like a, a theme on that or like recurring theme, but it just doesn't seem as good of a fit as a promise. Yeah. This is a promise that God is holding out. Who can dwell with the Almighty and never be moved? Yeah. Good. Um, all right. Let's go to the New Testament, actually. So this 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 is a th- sort of thing where we can actually, people can read the New Testament and kind of miss out on how the passage yeah. points to it's Jesus. Yeah, it's a really right? good point because sometimes you know? when people think, they and a lot of the literature focuses on the Old Testament, right. reading the Old Testament in light of Christ. Right, but you also need to read the New Testament That's in right. light of Christ, right? Because you, you're in danger that way. That's as well. right. Yeah. yeah. So here's Second uh, Peter three verse uh, verses one to eleven. Main point: Pursue holiness as you remember and await judgment and renewal. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of verbal process the reasoning yep. so people can track with me here. But you see, there's a command there. Like the ultimate point is that we yeah. would pursue yeah. holiness. Mm-hmm. That's a command that Christ ultimately fulfills. That it is it enables us to fulfill. Like the mm-hmm. only reason I can pursue holiness and remember and await the judgment and renewal yeah. is because Christ is doing that in me. That's right. That's right. So command. Yep. Yep. A command that can only be fulfilled by and empowered by Jesus. All right, we'll go to Genesis 19, 1 to 29. This is uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah account. I have the main point stated as, God reigned rightful judgment on Sodom, Gomorrah, and Lot's wife, but extended grace continuously to the hesitating Lot. Because actually in the passage what happens is um, Lot hesitates multiple times, twice, and the angels, remember, drag him out, and Lot's wife hesitates once, looks back, and she becomes a pillar of salt. So I'll state it again. God reigned rightful judgment on Sodom, Gomorrah, and Lot's wife, but extended grace continuously to the hesitating Lot. Yeah. So this one I could see having some overlaps where people could maybe argue different ways. Um, I would probably, I'm, I'm kind of torn between either recurring theme or type mm-hmm. because this is a mm-hmm. recurring theme of God bringing judgment and, sh- and extending his grace. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. you could say, that the type plays into there because there's 
the typology of God, a pattern of God's events of judging people. I would probably see the point showing that God's judgment and nonetheless extending grace yeah. probably puts me either in recurring theme or type mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, that's that's what I had too. I, and I'd, pro- I'd probably lean towards recurring theme, but I could I could probably be convinced otherwise. But yeah, that's where I was as well. Um, all right, let's do Genesis, Genesis 12. In fear, Abram gives Sarai... To Pharaoh. So this is uh, chapter 12, verses 11 to 20, not 1 to, th- 1 to 3 when the promise is given. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in fear, Abram gives Sarai to Pharaoh, but God plagues the Egyptians until Sarai is returned and they send them away full. Mm. So it's not a command. It's not a, a hope. I would, I, I tend to think um, that it's highlighting potentially a recurring theme. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. I'd, I'd probably put it as a reoccurring theme as well. So, so it's similar to the idea of the the f- sinfulness and fear of Abram, um, and yet God turns his limitations and fear and sinfulness uh, for the ultimate uh, good. Um, all right, let's do Psalm 29. Uh, I have that as, Bless the Lord who hears our plea, for he is our strength and shield and shepherd. The saving refuge for his anointed. Yeah. Um, so there would be uh, a recurring theme of God as our shield and our shepherd. Unless the focal mm-hmm. point was really the command to bless the Lord, then I suppose mm-hmm. it would be more of a command, mm-hmm. bless the Lord. Um, but otherwise, if the focal, if the focus of how you're trying to articulate is the character of God, there's our shield, our shepherd, and our saving refuge, it would be recurring. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, that's good. Or the, I'll give you one other option too. If it's more in the fact that God hears, so it'd be more like this promise, like God hears the pleas ah, of His yes. people. Yeah. So, so there, I I like the way you say that too. Like you're gonna you're gonna let the passage itself. Like obviously, I have it stated that way, and I have to actually go back at the passage and see what what the passage itself highlights as more the emphasis um, to determine which of those paths it would be. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, because then if you stated it more like God hears our pleas, or the God who is our strength, shield, and shepherd hears our pleas, that would more clearly articulate it mm-hmm. as that promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, we can wrap. Well, let's do, let's just do one more. Deuteronomy ten: Circumcise your hearts and fear the Lord. Obey and hold fast to Him, for He has set His love on you above all peoples. Yeah, so there's a command for them to circumcise their hearts, which of course they're not able to do. Mm-hmm. So that's a command that is ultimately fulfilled by Christ and we're able, and he fulfills it in us through his yeah. empowering. Yeah, that's right. So again, a lot of those passages, they're, they're, like you're not going to read Deuteronomy 10 and be like, oh, there's Jesus under that rock. Um, but that command, so we have to, in some ways, like squirm under it, realizing we can't do it and need the work of the gospel. Yeah, great. Nice work. All right, and so next time we will head into the section on application, thinking through how do we apply a passage of Scripture. Mm-hmm.